You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. from the New Living Translation. Um, if, you want, if you can, um, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he met us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good evening. My name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're a child, yeah, if you want to come up and grab one of these worship kits, if you're going to be hanging out during the service, you can come on up and grab one. Um, Welcome. We are in the book of Titus right now, and tonight we're wrapping up our series in Titus. 
Uh, the past three weeks, we've been looking at uh, this book of Titus as a study in ecclesiology. And ecclesiology just means the study of the church. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And that word ekklesia actually means assembly. Uh, we've looked at how God is the one who puts the church together. It's kind of exactly what Andre was saying, that, that people might end up somewhere and you, you don't know that that's where you're going to go to church. It might not even be the church you would pick out, but that's where God places you, and that's the people that he places in your life. Um, so that's how we started out talking about ecclesiology, ecclesia, as the book of Titus talks about it. Um, it's God's design. The church is his design. Uh, it's a design for us to do regular life together with all the mundanity and all the working through conflict that comes with life in the church together. We've also talked about how to avoid division by being curious with one another, by warning each other against judgmentalism and factions, by showing grace. We actually talked about how when, when Titus says to warn each other, that that warning means to preach the gospel to one another, to show grace and tell the truth of the gospel to one another. Um, we've talked about the difficult but rewarding joy of staying in a church community across a lifetime through the ups and the downs. Uh, we're going to focus tonight on the middle of chapter 3, but before we do, I want to make a few comments about this uh, verse about slaves. Uh, that, that section actually really goes with the portion of Titus that we read last week, but we talked mostly about the intergenerational church last week, so I just want to make a couple of comments about that before we look into chapter 3. Um, when you read the portion about slaves in that context, what it's orienting us toward is a church where there is peaceability, which has been a theme that we've seen throughout Titus. You might have heard people say that slavery in the Bible is different than the modern-day slavery that we've talked about, and that really is true, and I want to tell you why. But that doesn't mean that, that, does, that it's not fraught with ethical issues around wages and debt, okay? So ancient slaves uh, were often people who were defaulted debtors who ended up in some sort of finite, meaning not, indef not always indefinite, servitude. Uh, and so really slaves were akin to an obligated servant. So these are like low-wage workers, people who have no protections, and they can be stuck in poverty cycles. So that does not mean that when we say that it's different than modern-day slavery, that it's good, right? Uh, the distinction is just that this is not chattel slavery, meaning these are not humans that are being owned by other humans. It doesn't mean that they are, that it's, it's necessarily better, but it is different, and that makes the import of what Paul's saying different. Um, it doesn't erase the components of inequality in ancient slavery, but it reframes what Paul's getting at if we understand that this is not humans making other humans property. So I want you to think of someone in modern times who's stuck in a maybe credit card debt, and because of their debt, they can't meet basic needs. Uh, they probably can't grow their wages because they are in that cycle of just trying to climb out of that, and so they might not be able to get more training, get more schooling 
Uh, perhaps they're working more than one job. And what Paul's talking about is if you are in that position, the gospel liberates you. There is hope in eternity for you. And there maybe is even hope in the presence, in, in the present time, uh, perhaps with assistance from the church to escape those financial woes. But Paul's saying that that freedom on offer does not give them permission to be unruly. He's saying to find their freedom, to find their help from within the church, not from rebellion against these systems. Um, and so they, they can toil, though that doesn't mean that that's okay or even good, without compromising their souls in the difficulty of that servitude. Paul's argument, uh, that, that argument about finding that hope in that, it tracks throughout what we've already read in Titus to the whole church population. He starts with Titus, who's called to a life of location and vocation, doing good work in Crete. Uh, and from there, Titus calls elders, calls people of hospitality, of gentleness, people who are going to protect the flock. And then he presses for this whole community to dispense with those who refuse to share the gospel with their wider community, but instead want to create um, barriers to the gospel through the Jewish laws, through the circumcision laws. And then he talks about the beautiful economy of relationship between older saints nourishing the spiritual lives of the younger saints. And he calls the whole church, starting with slaves, to live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion for God. Now, I want to say that I sometimes forget that phrases like live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, it, it can be unsettling for some folks who grew up in the church, maybe in a culture that was really rigid or legalistic, because those might have been words that were associated with that, but that you might not associate with the gospel. But just like the previous week's call to piety and wholesome doctrine, um, I want to try to reframe the way you think about these words. In fact, I had a great conversation with someone from our church around these very words. Um, I've been using a word, piety, over the last couple of weeks, um, especially in the first two sermons when we talked about sort of the healthy, hygienic spirituality that we want to be the culture of our church. Uh, ben and I use that word piety all the time, and we mean it as a positive, but actually a lot of people uh, would associate that with a negative. That's, that's a word that's a pejorative. That's pious, meaning that that's a bad thing. And you might have grown up in, in a culture that that phrasing of piety is reacting against. What I mean by that is some of you grew up with a notion that a life in God means that you have to, underscore, have to, have the discipline to wake up every day and have what's called a quiet time. And when I say a quiet time, I mean something very specific. Um, now, I like to wake up and have quiet time with the Lord. I'm pretty bad at it, but I like it, okay? Uh, and I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the freedom to wake up and spend the beginning of your day with the Lord, having time with your Heavenly Father. What I'm talking about is a, is a very distinct practice that maybe you were told you have to do in a certain way, and if you're not getting 
and insight out of it, then you need to keep drilling down. You need to keep doing that work until you get something from God. It's, uh, it's getting up early. It's reading the Bible with some formality uh, and a pressure, especially, to get an insight. You can't just spend time with God. You've got to get something out of it. And that that is the measure of your relationship with the Lord, what you're getting out of it. And that might be the way that someone says, well, piety, that's a bad thing. And I'm wanting to say, no, let's, let's get out of that formulaic view of spirituality because that's not what Paul's talking about in Titus. What Paul's talking about is a lifestyle that's liberated from religiosity, and it's geared towards knowing God. It's not geared towards trying to do the work so that you can get things out of him, and that if you're not feeling that, that that, that, is a, a, that means that he, he lacks or that you are lacking the capacity to know him. We've talked a lot in this Titus series about how we can live and work together as a Christian community. And in that, we've talked about healthy spiritual lives, meaning, uh, as I just mentioned, a hygienic. There's a Greek word in there in, in, that's kind of in Titus in, first, uh, in the first chapter, in the second chapter. It's similar to our word hygienic, and it's a Greek word that means healthy. It means it, it's, uh, it's clean, it's good. It doesn't mean sterile in the way that we mean hygienic. It just means um, simple, vital. It means having a heart that is fresh and natural and wholesome and simple. In all these words could be uh, words that, that are similar to a good meal with vegetables from a garden. So like crisp and light and cleansing and invigorating. That's what's on offer. That's what, what Paul is talking about. And Paul is going so far as to, to pitting that kind of a spirituality against a spirituality where you're having to go through sort of religious hoops, laws, uh, especially the Jewish customs, it says, the circumcision laws. Underpinning all of these ideas that we've been talking about, all this life of working together as a church at Salem Prez, living together in Winston-Salem, caring for one another across generations, as we talked about last week, is a culture of people who have a healthy inner world because they are united to Christ. And I can forget that sometimes when you hear that and it's not fleshed out with these adjectives of clean and simple and good and offered to you, is that it can sound actually scary. It can sound like the religious laws. Uh, it can sound like work. And that doesn't mean that we don't uh, contribute by devoting ourselves to the Lord, but it can sound like toil. When you hear a word like quiet time and it means a very specific thing that you have to do and that if you don't do it right, you don't feel something out of it, you feel a sense of failure, that feels like toil. And Titus 3 is addressing that very concern. So I want to define out of Titus 3 a positive view of this pious life in Christ. In his book, Hearing God, Dallas Willard writes, It is much more impo important to cultivate the quiet, inward space of a constant listening than to always be approaching God for specific direction. 
Uh, some of you have probably heard me talk about this book ad nauseum. This book changed my life more than uh, most books I've read because Willard helped me shed all the trappings of the, the insight-based quiet time. Disciplines like uh, reading plans when I didn't know how to read the Bible. It took this pressure off my spiritual life uh, without saying, without saying, and I don't want you to hear me saying, that I don't need regular, consistent touch points with the Lord. Okay? We do need that. I do need regular, consistent touch points with the Lord, my Savior, with the Spirit of God. But recognizing that that's something that comes from our sitting before him, not the work that we put in. What Willard argues that's summed up in this quote is that we were made for a conversational life with God, hearing from him through his word, speaking to him in our prayer. And that can feel daunting when you've frustrated all these attempts to come to him through, through certain Bible reading plans, through making sure that you're doing a certain journaling practice, right? Setting your ar alarm early enough, uh, journaling until you get a new idea in your head. And none of these are bad. So don't hear me th saying that, that journaling is bad or Bible reading plans are bad. They're, they're actually great. You know, they're, they're meaningful. They bear fruit in the lives of m many, many Christians. But if we are told that that's the way to get to God, they can feel like toil. They can be toil. Uh, for some, they are life-giving, these practices. But for some, they're really draining. They become laborious shackles that are meant to conjure a spirituality where maybe none exists. And that's where we have to be honest, is sometimes they, they don't give us permission to say, I don't know what is going on in my soul, and I don't know how to come before God. And if you're told, well, well it has to be through a certain recipe of piety, uh, then you can start to feel like, well, maybe this is not for me. But what we're learning in Titus, what Dallas Willard helped me realize that's similar to what Titus is saying, is that these are great tools, but that healthy spiritual life in God actually comes from letting him come to us, opening ourselves, recognizing the ways that he moves to us. Uh, there's this phrase, when we were foolish and obedient. So that raises the question, is Paul implying in Titus that uh, we need to work for our faith, that there will come a day when we will not be foolish and disobedient? that by now we ought to be beyond our foolishness and beyond our disobedience? And the answer is no, that's not what Paul's saying. It might feel like Paul's asking a lot. Um, he says, slaves must not take advantage of those who take advantage of them. He says, we're called to submit to the government and its officers. You know, if, <laughs> if you're not uncomfortable with either of those, then I, I don't know what's going to make you uncomfortable. Uh, it says we have to avoid slander. It says we have to show humility. And these feel like a lot of minding our manners, don't they? But these, as Titus 3 is putting it, these are fruits of a life in God. They're not goals for us to ascertain. 
when fruits instead become goals, then we are in trouble. Then we're not understanding the gospel. That's when we're no longer those who are drinking of grace. We're trying to make it ourselves. That's when we're not those who are letting the, the Spirit be poured out on us, to use the language of Titus 3. That's when we're not children who come to the table hungry and thirsty for a life in God. It's when we make, that's when we're in trouble because we're trying to make these things ourselves. We're trying to conjure them up ourselves, which is exactly what the people uh, that Paul was warning against in Titus 2 were doing with the Jewish laws. Paul's not giving rules. He's reminding us what we were given, what we've already be, been given, even when, as it says, we were foolish, even when we were disobedient, when we were misled, when we were slaves to lust, even when we were those things, which we still are, he revealed his kindness and love, it says. We're still all those things. We still struggle. And mere grit, mere disciplines will not change that for us. Our participation is to receive. You know, our effort, if we're trying to make God known to us through our effort, that will yield frustration, and we will need help. But when our participation in God is to receive, is to receive from his word, that, that's, what, that's what we were made for. Paul is saying what is on offer to you is not a set of disciplines. What is on offer is for you to receive the loving kindness of the Lord. We receive the pouring out of the spirit, it says. Instead of toil, we open our hands. The Father offers to cleanse us even. We receive cleansing. Your Bible might say in, um, in Titus 2.14 that he will redeem us. And that, that, is, a, that is a right translation. But the, the translation we read tonight, um, I like that it translates it the word cleanse because I think that helps us better understand what God is doing here. The, the Greek word there is a similar word to the word that we have for catharsis, catharse. So to go back to Dallas Willard, uh, we were made to come and receive something from him through listening, through having these conversations. And what is that? It's to be washed in his words. That means that we do, we do read our Bible. We need to receive from him. But it can be as simple as reading the same verse over and over for months on months. It can mean just sitting down and listening to the Spirit to prompt us through those words. And I know for a lot of you that prayer and study has felt like toil and not rest. A few weeks ago, we had a conversation as a staff about what it means for those within Salem to spend quality time with each other when we meet with each other one-on-one, -on -one, um, especially when our staff meets with people. And at one point, we talked about how it, just, it does feel like um, it's so hard for people to not feel like there's a legalism in getting into the word. And there's also a propensity for us as, as a high-functioning society to solve all of our own problems together. 
And we ended up landing on this diagnostic question. We said, what if every time people were talking with each other about their struggles, the question was posed, uh, have you talked to the Lord about this? Have you gone to the Lord about this? And that's not meant to be a rhetorical rebuff, okay? So it's, it's not meant to be like when you guys get together and one of you is saying, you know, I'm having a hard time, and the other one says, well, have you talked to the Lord about this? Obviously not, or else you wouldn't be an annoying mess with me here today. I think you need to go back and do that. Call me after you've done that. That's not what we're saying, right? We're genuinely saying, man, have you gone to where the remedy is? Have you gone to where the cleansing is? Not have you done the disciplines. Not, a, not have you had the right quiet times. You know, just have you gone and seen what the Lord has on offer to you through reading his word? It's an invitation. That question is an invitation. But I do think that that can be really hard for people to, to accept that invitation. And it can be hard for us to say it to each other. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, instead of practicing prayer, which brings people into the presence of God, we enter into the practice of Messiah. We will do the work of God for God. We'll fix people up. We'll tell them what to do. We'll conspire in finding some shortcuts by which the long journey to the cross can be bypassed, since we all have such crowded schedules right now. So I want to say, be free of the insight-based quiet time, if that burdens you. You do not need to carve out a very specific chunk of time in the morning for very specific disciplines to know God. But you can find insight in his word. You can receive from him in the reading of his word in the talking to him through prayer. That's what you were made for. We were made to talk to the Lord. You were made to wash yourself in scripture. God is doing things for you to receive. He is doing things for you so that you can receive them. You do not need to conjure a relationship with him through disciplines. If he feels distant, then toil is not the answer. But that doesn't mean you have to be passive. You can open your hands. You can sit and listen. This is how we let him move to us. This is how we let him work in us. He is a good father, it says in his word. He wants to clean you up, as it says in Titus. He wants to grant you catharsis. Um, this section in Titus 3 that's actually our assurance of forgiveness tonight, it's a pretty famous passage because it is a beautiful distillation of the gospel. God does not expect you to conjure him up like a genie by your disciplines. God does not expect you to clean yourself up. He does not ask you to knock off your idols and addictions. Uh, to quote the old hymn, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. You were made, we were made, for a conversational relationship with God. And this relationship is not mediated by following the Jewish laws. 
nor committing to spiritual hierarchies. There's no special recipe of practices that will draw you closer to God. There is no amount of forcing your eyes closed in the early hours that will conjure the spirit like a genie. Put simply, you were made to receive from the Father. And that's Titus in a nutshell. Chapter 1 said, find yourself in the healthy church of the people of God. Chapter 2 says that that healthy church looks like people who receive health from the Father, and they share it with each other. And chapter 3 says that the goodness of God is not conjured, it's not earned, it is received, no matter what people try to say. And Paul warns us against that at the end of chapter 1 and at the end of chapter 3. It can be difficult, it can be tough to thread the needle of reminding each other that we're not capable of saving each other, of saving ourselves, excuse me. We have to remind ourselves of that. While also reminding each other not to give up on coming before him with a posture of receiving. Uh, too many of us have been invited to the feet of Jesus. We've accepted that invitation uh, only to feel like we have no direction of where to go from there. If the gospel's free and we receive it, then what? Do we wait around and wonder where he is and what this is all for? Uh, to pick up an analogy from a few weeks ago, can faith not sometimes feel like we were simply made to wait on a, on a train platform uh, without a lot of clarity for where and when we are going? But that's the reason that he gave us this table. He gave us this table to teach us that we were made to move. We were made to be a part, a participant. But our participation is to come and receive. To come and receive exactly what is described in Titus. To be recipients. To receive his grace as described in all these verbs found in Titus 3 of God acting upon his people. It says he reveals, he shows himself. It says he gives us life, his life. It says that he cleanses us. It says that he saves. It says he makes us new. He generously pours out his spirit. If that sounds wonderful, then come and receive it. And if you feel dead to that, but you want it, then come and receive it. Let the Spirit reveal to you, give to you, pour out, wash over, cleanse, refresh, revitalize. Make you healthy. I want this. If you do too, then you should join me at this table. Amen.
And remember, we love these rascals. <laughs>